Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard of the Continental Singers? Anybody? Okay, that was a long time ago, but we did do a few pretty cool songs and some choreography. So if you want to see it, you just have to show up at Plast Rita this Sunday, all right? This Sunday, you guys come, I'll show you. No, I'm just kidding. I'll show you one move right now. You ready? While we're singing, we had to do different stuff like this. So there's my best move. Now you have it. So, well, hey, it's a joy to be with you guys today, speaking at the Master's College chapels, always a highlight of the year for any of us local pastors who are here in the area. So thanks for letting me come. Appreciate the invitation, Pete. And uh, it's just an honor to be with you today. And today, I want to spend a little time with you from the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at this morning a very familiar text and probably the sermon title, even more familiar, I've titled this sermon, Taming the Tongue, right? Taming the Tongue. No matter how old you are, no matter what year you are in school, no matter if you're a professor or a student, uh, no matter if you're single or married, we all have a great deal to do with taming the tongue. We need God's help this morning as we look at James chapter 3. Let me just read our text to us. And we'll dive right in. James chapter 3, and we're going to try to just kind of do an overview of verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you all know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed as has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help this morning as we tackle this topic of taming the tongue. We are so in need today of your grace to be careful what we speak, that we would change our hearts. God, you would change our hearts and allow us to speak words that would build up and words that would encourage. So God, help us to understand this text with greater conviction so that we may live it out in our lives for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I know you guys know that the world of medicine has made a lot of advances. You understand that back in the old days, if you were sick, they would try different medical practices like bleeding you out, called bloodletting. You know, so if you were sick, it could be like, hey, man, what you've been doing today? Well, I've just kind of been bleeding out, you know, most of the morning, but I'm here this afternoon. Or they would put leeches on certain people that had certain diseases. And you're like, man, how are you feeling? I've got a bad cough, but I got a leech back here on my back. It's going to take care of it for me. So I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that medical treatment and medical diagnoses have advanced a lot since those years. In fact, today we have blood work, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, PET scans. And you can still, though, make some helpful observations and even making a diagnosis by examining your tongue. Like literally, examining your tongue gives the doctor some input onto various organ systems in your body. Different areas of the tongue are, are uh, believed to reflect different states of health of different systems. And so while examining the tongue, you could be looking for things like an unusual color, the coating of the tongue, the moisture of the tongue, the shape of the tongue, and all of these uh, are helpful for a doctor to make a diagnosis. For example, a swollen or puffy tongue can mean that you have problems with your spleen. A thin tongue can mean that you have a blood deficiency of some kind. A trembling tongue can also be a spleen deficiency. An elongated tongue can show issues with the heart. If the sides of the tongue are curled up, you could have issues with your liver. Cracks in the tongue can show a heart imbalance. Dryness of the tongue can show uh, later stages of severe illness. Kind of makes you want to examine your tongue right now, doesn't it? Say, like, maybe I have some kind of heart problem I didn't know. Let me check. Right? <clears throat> well, now that we all thoroughly understand that the tongue actually does help us make a physical diagnosis, let me tell you this. There is a far more important diagnosis that the Bible talks about by examining the tongue. And it's not your body, but it's your heart. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by examining their speech. How they talk reveals who they really are. In fact, one commentator says it this way, the tongue is you in a unique way. It is a tattletale that tells on the heart and discloses the real person. Or the Bible says it this way, out of an overflow of the, what? Heart, the mouth speaks. And so you can pretty much diagnose a person's spiritual maturity on how they talk. And nowhere is the relationship between faith and works more evident than in a person's speech. A two-year-old whines all the time about their food if you don't give them what they want. A seven-year-old may be complaining about the fact they have to start doing their homework. A 13-year-old may say, but mom, I want to play video games for four more hours. A 17-year-old might say, but dad, you said I could take the car out on that hot date I've got this weekend. A 20-year-old may say, but I don't know what I want to do with my life, and nobody loves me. A 30-year-old may say, honey, I think it's your time to change the diaper. A 40-year-old could say, but I deserve a night out with the guys. A 50-year-old could say, why didn't I get that promotion at work? A 60-year-old could say, why couldn't I have retired early? I mean, no matter what phase of life you're in, my point is this, a righteous heart is manifested by righteous speech. 
It's kind of like what James already said earlier in the epistle, James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So this morning, I want to talk to you about something that's really impossible. I want to talk to you about taming the tongue. And I want to teach you three truths this morning from this text so that you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, diagnose your spiritual health, and hopefully lives and speak in a way that honors God. So here's our first main point this morning. If you are trying to jot down some notes, I'll try to keep it simple for you. Number one, teaching the word is a sobering responsibility. Because this whole text about taming the tongue in many ways starts with verses one and two. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so while James chapter 2 kind of ends the discussion about the fact that we've been justified by faith and by saving faith that we have, it should always be accompanied by works. Part of good works, part of the good works of faith that we have should be that everybody needs to be careful in what they say, especially teachers. Teaching, in fact, should be reserved for only a few. The word for teachers here refers to a person who functions in an official teaching or preaching capacity, like a a pastor or an elder. We all know what the credentials for a pastor teacher or an elder may be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. So the first qualification for a teacher or a preacher of the word of God should be that he desires the office. Second qualification is that he must have a godly character listed in verses 2 through 7. He must be above reproach. The third qualification for a pastor elder who's in the office of speaking and preaching and teaching, like what I think verse 1 is talking about, would be somebody who's able to teach. They have some type of ability that God's given them to teach the word of God. The verse goes on there in verse 1 to say that, for you know that he will te- those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so there is an accountability of every teacher of the word of God. A teacher is not held to a higher standard, but a teacher is held to a higher accountability. Let me explain by what I mean. We're all called to be holy. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, Therefore, you are to be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it's not like that preachers and teachers are held to a higher standard, but they're, higher, they're, they're held to a higher accountability. And what I mean by that is this. If a teacher or a preacher um, begins to fail in areas of speech, he could be disqualified from his job. And so the idea is while we're all striving for perfection, if you're thinking about being a teacher or a preacher, you're going to have to be extra really careful on how you speak about others, on how you address situations in real life, on how your tongue is being used, hopefully as an instrument of righteousness and not as an instrument of wickedness. And then we also see in verse 2 that teachers acknowledge that this is a struggle for everybody. It's a struggle for everybody. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his old body. We're just saying here that everybody stumbles with their words. We all stumble. Doesn't, it doesn't refer to, to here to making honest mistakes, like I misspoke something, but rather outright sin. We all sin in our speech. 
This verse is emphasizing that everyone continually fails to do what is right with their speech. I'm no different than you are. I have to guard my tongue. And so everybody needs Christ in order to control your tongue. I mean, the only way to be a perfect man is to be in Christ. You cannot be perfect, but we are called to strive for perfection. And if you can control your words, then you ought to be able to control your whole body. And so it all starts with the mouth. If you can control what your mouth says, then by God's grace, you ought to be able to control everything else. But James goes on to talk about how it's impossible to do this. At least it's impossible in our own strength. And that really pushes us right into our second main point here this morning. Number two, where I want to spend most of our time. Here's the second heading. Taming the tongue is a physical impossibility. Taming the tongue is a physical impossibility. There's three analogies given in verses 3 through 8 and by which James compares the tongue to. The first one is the tongue is like a bit. It's like a bit. Look at verse 3 again. It says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. This actually shows that a tongue under control has the opportunity to be a positive influence over the whole body. I mean, imagine a bit with me. How many of you guys grew up with horses, or maybe you grew up uh, on a farm, or you like to ride horses, you know exactly what a bit is. A bit is what you put in a horse's mouth to control it. A bit only weighs one to two pounds, and yet you could be on top of a stallion that weighs 700 pounds, and you can control that horse and make that horse go wherever you want to go, Unless you're a wimp, right? I mean, sometimes you're on that horse, you got to like, ah, I'm in control. And if you just be like, oh, no, the horse won't follow me, you're in trouble, right? So that bit, you got to make sure you take charge of that sucker and you pull that thing back in a horse's mouth. And then you're in charge and you can make that horse do whatever you want. It's amazing. A two-pound bit can control a 700-pound animal. I believe this is part of why David prayed in Psalm 141.3. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Oh, how we need to sometimes just learn to bite our tongues. We need to learn that that little organ in our body can control our whole body and our whole ministry. And so we've got to be careful about how we speak. In fact, the manner in which the tongue sometimes gets out of hand is illustrated by the conversation between two women in Brooklyn. One said, Tilly told me that you told her that secret I told you not to tell her. The other replied, she's a mean thing. I told Tilly not to tell you I told her. The first speaker responded, well, I told Tilly I wouldn't tell you she told me, so don't tell her I did. I mean, this is what happens sometimes in life, right? It's just like, Hey, don't tell anybody. I got to tell you something, but don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know. And it just starts to get out of hand, right? And we can begin to be tempted so much to become gossipers. Psalm 15, Psalm 15, verses 2 and 3. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, and who does no evil with his neighbor, nor takes a reproach against his friend so easy for us, especially in college, 
it's easy throughout all of life, but for some reason in college, you are exposed to an enormous amount of information about people that you barely know, about professors and situations and relationships. And as college students, you're tempted to just want to talk about it. Did you know? Did you know they broke up? Let me tell you why they broke up. Well, I heard, and there you go, right? It's just off to the races like that. I want to encourage you students this morning that you would think about putting a bit in your mouth and let it be the word of God that would restrain your words so that they could be controlled by the spirit of God. Another analogy given here in verse 4 is the tongue is like a rudder. It's like a rudder. Look at verse 4. Look at the, the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Love these analogies. They're just helpful for us. Compared to the ship itself, a rudder is very small. It weighs only a fraction of the entire weight of the ship. In fact, Queen Elizabeth, one of the famous ships in our world, weighs uh, 83 1,673 tons, but the rudder of that ship weighs only 140 tons. Still sounds pretty big, a rudder weighing 140 tons, but if you do the math, it's only two-tenths of one percent of the total weight of that ship, and yet when the rudder is turned, it turns the direction of the whole ship. One pilot weighing in at 150 pounds can take his hand and put it on the steering wheel of that ship and literally turn an 86,000-ton vessel. It's an amazing analogy, and we all know it runs true. It can do this against wind and against rain as well as against cross currents. Your tongue is so very powerful. That's why Solomon warned us in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you know that you can crush somebody's reputation by what you say? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can forge an image of another person's character by what you say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Oh, college students, be careful how you speak. Be careful how you speak of your professors and your pastors and your coaches and your teachers and your friends and your mom and your dad. It's just so easy to kind of relax a little bit too much and stuff starts coming out of our mouth. That's why I believe James also compares the tongue to a fire. Verses 5 and 6, he says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great! A forest is ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. A fire, as you know, can begin with just a spark. In fact, there's that famous story of the Chicago fire which started like this at 8.30 p.m. on October the 8th, 1871. A fire reportedly started in Miss O'Leary's barn because one of her cows kicked over a small lantern. And the fire spread rapidly, and it burned in the city of Chicago for three days. When it was finally contained, it had destroyed 17,500 buildings. It killed 300 people, and it left 125,000 people homeless. Just one little lantern, one little barn, 
on the outskirts of Chicago, practically burned down their city. You understand how powerful fire can be. That's why Proverbs tells us about the tongue also being like fire. It's Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 16, 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 16, 20. For a lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Proverbs 26, 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So James here is using this analogy again of fire. In fact, verse 6 tells us of some major elements of the tongue's danger. It talks about it's a world of unrighteousness. This word world in verse 6 does not refer to, to earth or the universe, but rather to a system to a scheme, to an arrangement. We're talking here about a system of iniquity, a system of evil, a system of rebellion, a system of lawlessness, and every other form of sin. That's what the tongue lends itself to. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, verse 6 says. If, if, kind of like if, if the fire doesn't get you, the stench will. So if you don't get burned down directly by the tongue, the stench and the smell, the scorching uh, nature of the smoke will permeate and will ruin your clothing, right? How many times have you been to a campfire and you hang out and you smell like smoke and you come back in to the dorm or to, to your house and somebody's like, you been smoking, right? It's like if you don't get burned, you're gonna smell like fire. Jeremiah 22, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah 2, 22 says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. Verse 6 also talks about setting fire to everything else. Like a physical fire, the destructive effects of evil speech expand, not only contaminating ourselves, but also everything we influence in the course of life. And then notice the end of verse 6, maybe the most shocking of all. It says that it's set on fire by hell. Pretty serious language. It's not just like, ah, you know, I struggle with my tongue a little bit. No, if you struggle with your tongue, it could be that your tongue is set on fire by hell. You know what he's saying? It may be that you're not even a believer. It may be that the nature of your tongue shows that you're set on fire by hell. Literally, the word Gehenna. As you guys know, the Valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem, there a deep gorge on the southwest corner where Isaiah 66, 24 says, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is indicating, as you diagnose your tongue, that if your tongue continually is functioning in the negative, and lighting a fire, consuming the godly character and work done by others, that it may be that you're an unbeliever. So to be set on fire by hell indicates that the tongue can be Satan's tool, fulfilling hell's purposes to pollute, corrupt, and destroy. It is unbelievably dangerous and destructive. Using another figure of death and destruction, the psalmist says of those who misuse their tongues in Psalm 55, 21, his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. 
Psalm 59, 7. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, their swords in their lips. Psalm 64, 3. We who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows. So what are we to do with this? What are we to do with this tongue, which seems impossible to tame? In fact, that's what verse 7 and 8 says. For every kind of the beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen to what Robert G. Lee says about this, not Robert E. Lee, the southern general, but Robert G. Lee says this, quote, what has man done with huge elephants? He has invaded their jungle homes, trapped them, trained them in carrying lumber and pushing heavily laden wagons and all kinds of labor. What has man done with many green-eyed Bengal tigers? He has caught them and taught them and made them his playmates. What has man done with fierce, ferocious, strong African lions? He has captured numbers of them and trained them to jump through, jump through hoops of fire, to ride horseback, to sit up high on pedestals, and to leave untouched when hungry, beef placed between their paws, to lie down, to stand up, to run and roar in obedience to man's spoken word, in obedience to the crack of a man's whip. Why, once at a circus, he says, I saw a lion open wide his cavernous and ravenous mouth and hold it open while a man, his trainer, thrust his head far down into the lion's mouth and held it there for a full minute. What has man done with a huge boa constrictor, with a great python? Go to the circus and see little women, frail as flowers, coil these hideous monsters of, about their bodies with impunity. Go to the animal show. Consider how man has made the spotted leopard and the bloodthirsty jaguar harmless and dumb before him. Go to the show and see the trained fleas. See the hungry jackal lie down with the meek lamb. See the dove and the eagle nest together. See the wolf and the rabbit run and play. You guys have seen it, right? You've been to the circus. You see these incredible animals. I mean, how many of you guys have been to SeaWorld? You've seen shampoo? Is my four-year-old calls him. <coughs> Dad, you see shampoo? Got my hair wet. <coughs> like, it's shampoo, bro. It's shampoo. All right? <coughs> but the idea is you see how trainers control these animals. It's amazing. So man has actually tamed every kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature, but man cannot, and I repeat, man cannot tame the tongue. It's impossible. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It only takes a drop of cyanide to kill you. So what are we saying this morning? While man cannot tame the tongue, Christ can. While you cannot tame the tongue, Christ in you can. We believe in a gospel that not only regenerates us, but that refocuses the way we talk in a way that we could use our tongue to be a blessing and not to curse others. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, uh, but set an example to the believers in your, what? In your speech, in your conduct, in your life, in your faith, and in your purity. God's called us students at the Master's College, professing believers, to just acknowledge this morning, I can't do it. But Christ can. Christ has called me to walk to the beat of a different drum. I will not give in to the conversations that I hear going on around me. I will not give in to the conversations of the world. I will not give in to the slander and the gossip I hear because I want my tongue to be used for good. My heart has been regenerated. My mouth has been regenerated. My tongue has been regenerated. God changed me change the desire to enter into conversation that would tear others down. And so we're talking about teaching the word of God as a sobering responsibility, verses 1 and 2. Taming the tongue as a physical impossibility, verses 3 through 8. And then last, our last point this morning is testing the fruit of the tongue is a spiritual reality. Testing the fruit of the tongue is a spiritual reality, verses 9 through 12. Listen to what we read in even verses 9 and 10. James says, With it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Guys, it just shouldn't be happening with us. For those of you who have repented of your sin and you've been reborn in Christ, it ought not be. We can't speak words of truth and lies at the same time. We can't be a hypocrite. This is what Jesus refers to in Matthew 7, 16 and following when he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. That's how you'll know the maturity of a Christian when it pertains to their tongue. Do they talk one way in class and a different way in the dorm? Do they talk one way in the dorm and a different way when it's just you and that person one-on-one? Do they get so relaxed that their true colors start to come through as they begin to slander other people, give juicy bits of gossips about this situation and that situation? Because you can tell the integrity of a man or a woman by how she talks. Every one of us this morning needs to examine our own hearts, our own lips, to see whether or not we're being hypocritical. Verse 11, we could say, are you, are you being consistent? Are you being consistent? Verse 11 again says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? You, you get the picture. You, you can't have salt water mixed with fresh water. Then it becomes salt water, right? Right? 
As soon as you mix it, too, it's salt water. There you go. There's no more fresh water. The idea is, is that we need to be consistent with our speech. Some of us struggle with this more than others. In fact, there was some research printed out two years ago by the University of California, which discussed how many words the average person speaks per day. Do you know what, the, uh, what they came up with? Well, that depends on what gender you are. For ladies, and there's only two genders, by the way, as God created us in his image and for his glory, you're either a man or you're a woman. And if you want to talk about that afterwards, I'd be happy to help you. All right, but according to this study, an average lady speaks 20,000 words a day, whereas guys only speak 7,000 words a day. So girls, you got us outspoken three to one, which means girls, you got to be extra careful. Okay, guys get in fist fights, girls get in tongue fights. What I mean by that is by using their tongue, okay, <laughs> let me explain, in a derogatory way, <clears throat> because for whatever reason, I'm not saying guys don't struggle with gossip, they do, but they're more likely to say, why don't you step out back and I'll tell you what I think about that, <laughs> right? Whereas girls are going to cut in a different way, just stereotypically. They speak, I'll speak guys three to one. So girls, you're going to have to take extra care, all right? So if you're a girl and you're in this room, you need, you need to jot down Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 10, 19, which says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So if you're going to talk a lot, make sure you're really watching what it is that you're saying. Then our last verse, verse 12, are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Notice how verse 12 ends. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The fruit of our tongue, I believe, is the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the tongue is the fruit of the Spirit. Is the fruit of your tongue the fruit of the Spirit? If somebody described your speech this morning, would they define you as someone who speaks God-honoring words? The words you speak reveal your heart. After hearing a sermon like this, the temptation is like, well, I'm just not going to speak anymore. Zip. Just zip it up, man, because I know I'm going to get in trouble. Well, you guys remember that quote from the movie Bambi? How many Bambi fans do we have in here? Come on. Again, all girls again. This just should have been a girl sermon. I knew it. You remember the quote? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Aw. So sweet. That was the quote made famous by Thumper in the 1942 classic, the movie Bambi. Well, I want to tell you this morning, that's not biblical. What we're challenging you to do this morning is not to say nothing at all. I mean, I get it. Uh, James 1, 19 says, be slow to speak. But Ephesians 4.29, which you also know well, says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace 
to those who hear. So my challenge to you would be, if you can't say something nice, say something filled with grace. You can't say nothing at all because that's not a biblical principle. It's about putting off and then what? Putting on. So if you can't say something nice, say something filled with grace. It's not that we say nothing. It's that we learn to replace unwholesome talk with wholesome talk. We are to get rid of corrupt talk and honor Christ with our talk. We are instructed not only to avoid evil conversation, but we are also instructed to adorn our lips with edifying conversation. So I challenge you on this very day to look at your tongue. I challenge you on this very day to talk to your close friend, to talk to your RA, to talk to your RD and say, hey, would you examine my tongue? Just want to make sure I'm being faithful. And I invite you to speak in my life if you've been hearing me talk in ways that are a mixture of fresh water and salt water because I want to use my tongue to the glory of God. So may God help you through the power of of the Holy Spirit to tame the tongue. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at a familiar text and to be reminded of the impossibility of doing this apart from your Spirit's power. So I pray first and foremost that you would regenerate any lost soul in this room who's never been able to control the tongue because they don't know Christ. I also pray, Father, for those who do know Christ, who've been born again, that you would help them on a regular basis understand and realize the power of the tongue. I pray, God, that you would help us to set a guard over our mouths, that you would help us to replace corrupt talk with wholesome talk, that you would help us not to tear down but to build others up. Help us, God, to first examine our own tongues and then also to help those around us examine their tongues so that this master's college student body would be known not as a group of gossipers, but a group of students who declare the glory of God, who walk in the light, who speak the truth in love, and who honor you by having spirit-controlled tongues. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, please.